Today's scripture lesson comes from Luke, chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you have ordered has been done, and there still is room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those who were invited will taste my dinner. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the ways that your word speaks to us. The way your living word challenges us, inspires us, and reminds us who we are as your people and what we are called to do as your disciples. As we take time now to reflect on your word, may the words, my mouth, and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The parables of Jesus do move us. They inspire us, they challenge us, and sometimes they even convict us. In their very best moments, they have the power of opening new ways of thinking about the world, of thinking about God's kingdom, and about how we are to live as disciples. And this passage from Luke is no different. In Luke chapter 14, we are told that Jesus is attending this large Sabbath meal filled with all the top leaders of the Pharisees, and all attention was focused on him. The guests are watching his every move. At the gathering, there was this man with swollen joints, and Jesus asked the gathered scholars and Pharisees if it is permitted to heal on the Sabbath. They don't answer, so he heals this man, saying, Is there anyone here who, if a child or animal fell down a well, wouldn't immediately rush to pull him out immediately, not asking whether or not it was the Sabbath? And the scene then moves to the guests and how they're trying to arrange themselves so that each may sit at the place of honor, everyone trying to get the best seat at the table. And Jesus says to the crowd, when you are invited to a dinner, don't take the place of honor. Somebody more important than you may have been invited by the host, and he'll come and call you out in front of everybody, saying, you're in the wrong place. The place of honor belongs to this man. Red-faced, you'll have to make your way to the very last table. Instead, Jesus says, every time you're at a party, take the lowly place. Be humble 
and then maybe you'll be invited to the front. In the message, Jesus' words are translated as this. He's saying, what I'm saying is if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to simply be yourself, you'll become more than yourself. And then Jesus turns to the host and says to the host, next time you put on a dinner party, don't just invite friends and family members and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out the misfits and those from the wrong sides of the tracks. You'll be an experience of blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. See, that's the context for today's scripture lesson. In the midst of this very real dinner party, Jesus is already challenging religious and cultural norms of the guests and attendants. He's challenged them about the meaning of religious law, about humility and, and hospitality. And then he offers this additional story, the story we heard this morning about invitation and rejection and opening doors to the broken, to the hungry, and to the uninvited. There was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. And when it was time for the dinner, he sent a servant out to the invited guests, saying, come on in, food is ready, it's on the table. But they all began to beg off, one after another, making excuses. The first said, I just bought this piece of property and need to look it over. Please send my regrets. And another said, I just bought five team of oxen. I really need to check on them. Please send my regrets. And another said, I just got married and need to be home with my wife. Now, I'll confess that at this time of year, this, this part of the text really speaks to me in a very real way. Say, I'm a massive introvert, and, and this time of year, I'm exhausted. Exhausted from Thanksgivings with both sides of the families, exhausted from Christmas parties at work to, to helping to, to our, having our open house at the parsonage, to gatherings of friends and choir members, and, and even walking through crowded stores. I'm wiped out. I don't want to go to a party. I don't want to go to another party. The last, time I want, last thing I want to be doing is, is spending time in a large room with, with people I don't really know and, and talking, present company excluded, I guess. The idea of another party, even when I know the food and the company is going to be good, is, is not something I necessarily want to face. So the first question I have to ask myself as I read through this text is, is where am I in the story and might I be one of those guests who reject the invitation? If one more invitation were to come to me today, I guarantee you I'd be looking for a good excuse to to get me out of it. Fred Craddock in his commentary on Luke um, offers this thought. He says, we are not listening here to worn out old stories about faulty alarm clocks or heavy traffic, or misplaced calendars, or tardy carpools. The economic pressures felt by the first two and the recent wedding of the third were excuses that were honored in most societies. In fact, marriage excluded one from military duty in Israel. He says the forces against which God's offer contends are reasonable and well-argued, but God's offer has priority not simply over our worst, but also over our best agendas. Those who attend do not do so because there's nothing else to do, but because the banquet was the best among attractive alternatives. 
And I think that's a really important message, a really important point that can be missed. Sometimes people really do have good excuses, legitimate excuses for rejecting the invitation when it comes, even rejecting God's invitation when it comes. Maybe in my heart I, I feel this, this yearning to, to reach out to my neighbor down the street who's been having a hard time, but, but the reality is I've been so busy at work lately that I just don't have the time and the energy, and so I don't, I don't make the effort. I don't take that step. Maybe I know that I should be in worship on Sunday mornings, but, but that's when my child or my grandchild has their basketball or baseball or, or soccer games, and it's, it's important to cheer them on. It's important to celebrate family. What opportunities might I be missing because I am focused on my own agenda instead of accepting the invitation to the party that God has prepared? When do my priorities keep me from embracing God's possibilities? So I think it's a question we all have to wrestle with on a daily basis. And I think it has special resonance with us as we think about how to do church and the invitation and the hospitality that we extend to others. When I was in seminary, I interned with the conference offices in the area of conflict resolution and church development. And part of my job was to simply show up anonymously to churches on Sunday mornings and observe what is going on, basically be, be a secret shopper to that church to get an idea of some of the underlying dynamics that might be helping or hindering the overall health of the church. And for the most part, though, the one thing I found consistently, church after church after church, was in a, when a nicely dressed guy in his mid-20s shows up to church on a Sunday morning, no one knows what to do with him. I'd often get this deer-in-the-headlights look, these, these wide-eyed stares with, with not a word to say, although in the back of their minds, I'm sure they were wondering, who is this guy? What is he doing here? Why is he here? Who's he, who's he related to? I haven't seen him around before. An usher might say hello or, or offer me a bulletin, but usually that was the, the extent of the greeting I got. I still vividly recall at a time, a, a Sunday following the worship service, I was standing alone in the worship, um, in the fellowship area, sipping a cup of punch and, and having a cookie, and, and not a single person said hello to me or invited me to sit with them until the pastor himself introduced himself right as I was, right as I was on the way out the door. And maybe those people had had their reasons. Maybe they had their own excuses of, of why they didn't reach out. Maybe they didn't want to seem too pushy or too eager. Maybe talking to the people they knew, talking to their friends and family members instead of the stranger really was the priority that day. And I bet if you asked any of those churches, I bet they would all tell you that they're, they're very warm, they're very friendly, they're very welcoming, they just don't know why new people don't come. And they were. They were warm and friendly and welcoming to each other. If you've been going there five or 10 or 20 years, I bet it seemed very welcoming. There were lots of people talking and laughing and catching up both before and after worship. They just weren't talking to the new guy that, that walked through the door. So I grew up in, in church, so I already knew what to expect in terms of what would happen during the worship services, where to turn in the hymnal, how to recite the Lord's Prayer. I'd already been in enough churches that I had a good idea of how to find the sanctuary and the bathrooms, but I only could imagine what it would have been like if, if that was my very first experience of church, not knowing what to do, of where to sit, or what to say. Imagine if I was feeling lost and lonely, spiritually broken, and this was my very first experience of church. 
a bunch of mostly older people giving me funny looks and not being very friendly, compassionate, or helpful. Would I have come back again to that church or, or any other church? See, and I think that's, that's where the heart of, of the story turns. The invitation has gone out to the insiders, the expected guests who are found to put their own priorities, their own agendas ahead of the host of the party. And I find myself wondering, what if, what if rejecting the invitation isn't just about responding to God's call? Because we've responded to God's call. We're, we're here this Sunday morning. We're here in church. But, but what if it's also a question of, of doing church in such a way that is so comfortable to us that others don't get invited, others don't get welcomed as the, as the master, as, as God invites us to? I think that is the the crux of the story. When the servant reports back that the invitation has been rejected, the host is outraged, and he says, quickly go out into the city streets and the alleyways, collect all who look like they need a square meal, all the misfits and the homeless and the wretched you can lay your hands on and bring them here. And the servant brings all those people into the party, and there is still room at the table. And so the master says, go out, out out beyond the bounds of the city. Go out into the country roads, and whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. See, what Jesus is saying here is that God's kingdom is the kingdom of expansive invitation. And there is room at the table for everyone. There is room at the table for all of us. And just as maybe we can sometimes resonate with the, the invited guests who make excuses and reject the invitation, I think we can also resonate with what it means to be one of the misfits, one of the overlooked and forgotten who have been invited to a party they never expected to be at. At some point in our lives, we know what it means to be lonely and hungry and ignored. We know what it means to have been declared, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, And yet here we are, here we are in this powerful and special place where we can claim that most basic truth that no matter what the world says, we can proclaim here that God loves us. God loves me even with my junk, even with the hurt that surrounds me. God loves you no matter where you've been or what you've been through. If we really hold that to be true, and at the very best, church is a place where, where all people are welcomed, where all people are loved, where all people are honored and accepted. If we know that our life has been transformed because of that invitation God has extended to us, then we should be doing everything we can to make sure that ex- invitation is extended to, to everyone who needs to hear it and needs to experience it, especially those people for whom our world deems unacceptable or unworthy or unlovable. Now, I know I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the wrong crowd here. I know this church in particular has been doing this hard work of figuring out what, what that means, about how to make this, this call and commission to love all people, how to take it seriously, and how to really apply it, where all truly means all. I tell you, when I, when I first saw your, your creed for Court Street um, a, a few months ago, that document you, you developed together, I was astounded by just how powerful it is. I celebrate the work that you have done, the work you are doing, 
And I'm thankful for the ways that you are responding to, to God's call, striving to be a church that truly is welcoming, truly is inclusive, truly is striving to, to invite everyone to God's party. But what I think we need to always be mindful of is that I think our basic inertia is, is always to, to going back, to going back and making those excuses, to going back and being content of, of being a church that takes care of my needs but doesn't necessarily pursue God's greater agenda of invitation, of, of being servants to those people who still are, are being left out in the world. A few years ago, Bishop Robert Schneezy wrote a book called The Five Practices of Faithful Congregations, and I was reminded about it this week, about his words on invitation, his words on Christian hospitality and the invitation to the outsider. He writes this in his book. He says, Christian hospitality refers to the active desire to invite, to welcome, to receive, and care for those who are strangers so that they can find a spiritual home and discover for themselves the unending riches of life in Christ. It describes a genuine love for others who are not yet part of the faith community, an outward focus, a reaching out to those not yet known, a love that motivates church members to openness and adaptability, a willingness to change behaviors in order to accommodate the needs and receive the talents of newcomers. Beyond intention, hospitality practices the gracious love of Christ, respects the dignity of others, and expresses God's invitation to others, not our own. Hospitality is the mark of Christian discipleship, a quality of Christian community, a concrete expression of the commitment to grow in Christ-likeness by seeing ourselves as part of the community of faith, not to be served, but to serve, quoting Jesus in Matthew 20, 28 there. He says, by practicing hospitality, we become part of God's invitation to new life, showing people that God in Christ values and loves them. By practicing hospitality, we become part of God's invitation to new life, showing people that God in Christ values them and loves them. So I think the beauty and the power of, of the parables Jesus tells us is that they can simultaneously speak to us in so many ways. Sometimes we are the people with, with excuses, the people that, that don't come to the party and, and miss out on what God has prepared for us. Sometimes we are the outsiders, the recipients of amazing grace invited into this feast and celebration that we don't deserve. But as disciples of Jesus, I believe we're also called to be that, that faithful servant in the story, the one who prepares the food, the one that prepares the palace, that gets everything ready and is always out there, always inviting, always bringing new people in so that all may be welcomed at the feast, so all may know the love of God. And the story tells us that sometimes that invitation is going to be rejected. But that just means we go out and find new people, find other people, for there is more than enough room at the table when God is the host. As we enter into this new year, as we enter into this, this new decade, may we be party people, even if you're somebody like me who doesn't necessarily like parties. May we be party people who invite others in to reach out in, in Christ-like love and let them know that there is a community of faith for them. 
May we be people who are always ready to receive that, that invitation that comes from God to celebrate, to bless, and serve, and invite other people. May friends and neighbors and strangers be changed in this new year because of the love of Christ that we have to share, because of that invitation of God's love that we always carry with us. By God's power and by God's grace, may it be so. You'll pray with me. Almighty God, we are your thankful people because of the ways that we have been invited in, because of friends and, and family members who, who taught us what, what love is all about, who, who went about and, and made those accommodations to, to let us know that, that we belong here. This is our home. This is a place where we can find comfort and, and sustenance. This is a place where we can grow in, in faith and love. We give you thanks for this precious gift, O oh God. Help us to be intentional in this, this year ahead to reach out to others. Help us to share the love that we have found here with, with the entire world and especially within, within this community of Flint who so desperately needs your grace and needs your kind, kindness and compassion. Remind us, O oh God, that we are your servants, we are your people, and we are called to go forth, blessed to be a blessing to others. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.